All right, welcome back, pool fans from across the country and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week, and I will be joined by Mr. Mark Cantrell of the Legends and Champions Report. How you doing, Mark? Good, thank you very much. Good, thank you very much. Good, good. That's always good to hear. I, uh, yow, I guess it's winter now. Uh, <laughs> officially got our, our cold air blast finally, so uh, my condolences to all you guys. It's apparently going to get really nasty this weekend too, so uh, uh, stay inside and play pool. I guess that's what we're going to do. So, uh, yeah, we've got the we've got the heat set on on the air conditioning at uh, seventy, <laughs> and it keeps uh, and and it keeps coming on in the middle of the night. So, <laughs> you know, we've had this whacked out situation last week. About a week ago, it was like five degrees outside. Uh, about three days ago, it was about fifteen degrees outside, and today it's forty. Like, you know what? Get some whacked out weather, and yeah, and this weekend it's going to be back down to like negative five. So yeah, we have a we're running the gamut here. I can't stand it. I got to move to like uh, Barbados or something like that. Anyway, uh, so in the pool oh, world, everybody wishes you would. <laughs> yeah, I bet they do. Everybody in Chicago is hoping that you move to Barbados. <laughs> they probably are, to be honest with you. Um, hey, that's cool with me. I'd rather be there than here. Um, I yeah, I just don't like the cold weather. Turning Stone went down pretty much without a hitch, from what I understand, and uh, congratulations goes out to uh, Mr. Mika Eminen. So, uh, you know, he did good. Uh, second place went to Eric Horlifson. I can't ever say his name. Horlifson. Horlifson. Um, and then I think Shaw took third. Rodney Morris. Uh, I think he placed, and maybe Oscar did too. So, um, yeah, well, I think Oscar was, uh, and was it third or fourth? Mm-hmm. Third, fourth, whatever it is. But that's uh, tennis tournament is a, is a, a tough field. Uh, you know, there was some, like we said last week, there's some Americans missing. Um, but it still doesn't mean that there weren't some talent there uh, you know there, there were uh, I, I certainly wouldn't be able to beat any of them you know there is a class uh, class field Oscar Dominguez Hunt uh, Lombardo Jeremy Sose Mike Duchesne uh, Archer Morris isn't sure and if you go through them I mean it's you know, yeah. it's, it's a tough one to win and I don't know what the last thing Mika won was but it's uh, it's definitely uh Gone through a, a, a little bit of a, a dry spell, and uh, hopefully this has broken for him. It's um, because a, a nice guy. Yeah. Well, and he apparently took. You know, I guess Shaw was looking for his uh, fourth straight. <laughs> that had to be kind of a bummer for him. But you know, it, getting four in a row in any title is is going to be really really hard anyway. So it wasn't uh, wasn't a, slant, a clincher. But hey. He did well anyway. You know, he almost got it. Got real fucking close, apparently. Oops, I cussed on air. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, this is supposed to be family friendly. Um, so what hey, else? Hello. Yes. Uh, we got, jeez, uh, right now as we speak, uh, Ko Pen Yi right in the middle of a match with Dennis Orcoyo. 
uh, they're playing a race to 200. Or I said nope. that wrong. 100. Race to 100 and 10 ball uh, out at Steinway. Yeah. Uh, AZBTV or uh, Upstate Owl is streaming that one. If you guys want to get in on that, it's not too late, actually. I want to say uh, the matches are second night of play is, is right now. And uh, at the beginning of this evening, I want to say that they were like at 28, 32 or something right around there. Uh, so nobody's running away with it just yet. It should be really interesting to see um, how that all plays out. Plus, you know, as you know, they're yeah, playing 10 20, ball. 20,000, uh, and, uh, you know, if it's something that you're interested in watching, uh, go to easybilliards.com, the premier website for uh, pool and billiards, as most of you know, but, you know, in case some of you are not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look on the front page of the streaming guide, it will come up there. Uh, Dennis Arcolo versus Copin Yee. Yeah. Just click on that and it'll follow the directions. Yeah. Be able to watch it. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are wanting to, I mean, you know, secretly or not secretly, watching the, the codes get beat. <laughs> I think there's. I'm not saying everybody, but there, you know, you got your Shane fans and stuff like that that want to, they want to see them get a little American revenge on it. So uh, I, I, we'll see how that goes. If anybody can hold them to it well, on ten ball, you know, Orcoyo's going to do a pretty good job. He's not, he's not anything yeah. to sneeze at. That's for sure. It's, it's going to be a long races. I believe they're starting at six p.m. Uh, Eastern time right. each night. Yes, uh, I'm. I'm not exactly sure how many they they're racing to. If they're going to thirty or to sixty, do you know what I mean? Going in uh, or third in increments, yeah, and then stopping for the day. That's a good but question. It's going three days. Right, it's going three days. I don't know. I I'm guessing. What was this? What was the score yesterday? You say you think? Um, you know, I can double check. Um, I want to say I think it was thirty-two games to twenty-eight with Dennis with a slight edge. Um, I yeah. will double check that. But, That's yeah. probably what they're doing. They're probably going to go to thirty, uh, uh, sixty-six, maybe to today. Right. When they get to six, then whoever gets to sixty-six, uh, then they'll move on. To, to the last day on the 15th tomorrow. Right, right. Yeah, well, that will be the, the clincher. Let's see here. I'm looking at Freddie uh, Agnier. I don't know if you guys know him. Uh, on AZ Billiards, his his um, name is Cornerman. Uh, he was watching and reporting last night. It said 33-28 Dennis. That's what it was. So Dennis has got you know five-game lead at this point going into tonight. So... Like I said, he's nobody's running away with it just yet. There's plenty of ball still to be played, that's for sure. Uh, and then, of yeah, course, could be a late, could be a late night. <laughs> yeah, could be a very late. Well, they played pretty late. They were they were playing last night at about two or three, about two about two or three in the morning for sure. So uh, you know, that's gonna get on you after a while. Uh, 2016 Moscone Cup tickets are on sale tomorrow. So if you plan on going to watch. Uh, in Europe, or in, you know, uh, London, I guess it is. Isn't it in London this year? Yeah, it's uh, the Alexandra Palace. Mm, okay, that'll uh, be cool. Place, up to 1,800 people. Ooh, wow. Uh, which, 
Well, that'll be well. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if they can get eighteen hundred, but if they do, I I, I didn't know if they could get a thousand either. So mm. uh, yeah, you know. But they sold out really, really quick. Right. The last time when it was in Blackpool. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, if they can do that, and I've seen what they've added, and I actually spoke to them a little bit about it. They've never had the facilities or the opportunity to do it. But um, they've got a deal there, the VIP tickets. £145 a day. And you're guaranteed to get, like, a front row seat, uh, two-course meal each day, uh, all kinds of perks, yeah, greet, and that kind of thing. Unlimited beer, wine, and, and soft drinks. <laughs> Yes. I mean, <laughs> if the if the alcohol is the same price as it was at the uh, Tropicana for the uh, Moscone Cup, I, I, you can definitely get to one hundred forty-five dollars fairly easy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's that's a pretty cool deal, though. I think it's pretty cool because you get your your drinks and your a meal, a VIP, uh, your own bar. Actually, there's a VIP bar. Photo ops with the with the with Mr. McDonald and the walk on girls, meet and greet with the players, that, priority seating. I mean, that's that's that a, private bar is a, that private bar thing is a big deal. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, you, you, when you when you go, and if you're a smoker, you know, yeah, then and as a lot of people are, at the end of a match, everybody goes out and smokes in between. Right. The next match. Right, exactly. Well, now there's 500 people trying to come back in <laughs> to watch, and they don't let you go through yeah. while the play is on. Right. So you have to sit there for maybe two racks, three racks, yeah. and to let people in, and then you follow through. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, having a private bar that's just got, uh, you know, I don't know how many, a, a, a smaller number of people in now. Is is a is a is a great idea. You can go in and be in and out uh, pretty quick and not miss much. So right, right, right. No, that's true. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be interested in that. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the what's what else is going on? Uh, the um, oh, Music, Music City. City yeah, Music City Open just got fired up too. Down there in uh, Tennessee, is that right? Yeah. Yep. That's yep. right. It's uh, at GLB's. It's been at, uh, the Music City Open's been at GLB's pool room for a while. For, oh, years and years. Right. And uh, owned, owned by a guy, and his nickname is JLB. JLB. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a one standing event. I, I'm. A little bit surprised it wasn't part of the um, the most points, points with all the yeah, yeah. that there are. Um, but that's you know, it is, it is what it is. But it's a a good event, and that's uh, on pay per view as well. You can find that on the stream on AZ Build the streaming section on AZ Billions. Right, or you um, can go to PoolActionTV.com also to uh, check into that. Yeah. As a matter of fact. Yeah, that one's uh, it's underway, as a matter of fact, and uh, actually, it, start, it starts today. 
Oh, um, okay. The big stuff all does. Time right now. By the time this program airs, it will be on. Yes. Uh, but yesterday was uh, a, a, a mini-event, a warm-up event kind of thing yesterday. Sure. Uh, but today is the actual start of uh, the 2016 uh, Music City Open. And there was an event pass that was twenty four ninety five. There's, it's about four or five days worth of, uh, of competition, so that's uh, there's a lot of pool to watch, in theory. Uh, and speaking, yeah, you've got all kinds of stuff to watch if you want. Yeah, right now, absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, coming up in another week or so, well, another week or two, ten days, I guess. Um, Derby City is about to get underway, January the twenty second. So uh, if you guys are not already, you know, if you're if you're playing in the event, yeah, you, you better already got your ducks in a row. If you just want to watch it, the cool part is you got some options there too. Um, you know, you can watch uh, the sort of the TV table thing, but they also are going to have a pay per view set up in the in the action room. Big truck uh, pull action TV will be in the action room. And then I believe Upstate Al and them are going to be, or uh, Pat, jeez, who's covering that? No, it must be Pat is covering, Pat Fleming Accustats is going to be covering the uh, the uh, the main table events there. So um, that is going to be a big deal. Big, Derby City is always a big deal. There's so much pool going on, so many different events, straight pool challenges and big, I mean, everything, every kind of a pool that you can imagine banks nine ball it's all there ring games it's uh you know the hustlers bazaar like they like to call johnston city so yeah. uh that's um one of one of if not the biggest event as far as volume of pool ba- being played probably in the country i would think yep it's uh you see he does have a little bit of everything like you said uh, hustlers jamboree yeah it's- it's just like that, and then we get to see it. It's different to when the at uh, the the showboat, uh, where they used to have the uh, the show bar. Yes, yes. The, the hustlers uh, jamboree. Johnson uh, City. You know, right? you, you had to be there to see it. Yeah. You know, you come. We've got a lot of luxuries with technology. We get to see all these things now. So. You know, that brings up a really good, that's a good point, a good question, you know, what, imagine what, how cool it would be to have been able to watch streaming events from Johnson City, (laughs) that would be, that would be wild, absolutely wild, it would have been cool, I mean, it's too bad that they didn't, uh, you know, show more coverage of it, but uh, I think they did, NBC Sports uh, covered it one year, but uh yeah, 
that well and that's kind of the point like you just said we take for uh, granted the fact that we get to watch a lot of this stuff and right now because we're used to it it might not seem like that big of a deal but hell you know 50 60 75 years from now there's probably going to be people looking back at these um you know the tapes from derby cities and you know the turning stones and uh you know all the events so i'm glad that the technology is such that we were able to do that because uh you know we don't have the footage from so many, so many years of playing pool uh, in the past. Nothing. No tape, no nothing. There's none, you know, nothing of it at all. I, I wonder, even if they had it back then, if the players would have wanted it. Right. That's a good question, you know, because some you of know, them were trying you know, to fly they, under the radar. Called the hustle yeah. the Jamboree for a reason. Yeah. A lot of people knew everybody, but there was some people going under the radar there. Yeah, absolutely that, uh, true probably didn't want I don't know the government the IRS the police the, <laughs> the other players they could have used who it. they were and how they played yeah, yeah they went to roll up to some place in Saskatchewan and in a plumber's outfit maybe <laughs> And then, don't put me on the TV. I don't want to be on there. Yeah, I don't want no. them to see me. Right? Yeah. No. It's You're gonna true. kill it. This is my living. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true. They wouldn't want anybody to see that. Um, I, you know, Mark, I'm gonna mention this too. Um, I it, it's just posted on AZ Billiards that uh, uh, overseas online betting is legal but now there is they're re-investigating um online gambling for united states so there is a development working in the in the background here um and i don't know a lot of the details on it just yet but uh word on the street is that uh they were trying to revisit this uh legal gambling online in the united states and if that does in fact become uh legal it's going to change a lot of the pool uh stats and now i'm not talking about the games themselves it's just going to give some people another outlet to get entertainment out of pool matches you know what i mean Wherein I, I think it, I think it'd be huge. <coughs> well, it would absolutely huge. Yeah, and especially. Because, and, I, and I'm saying that, and I can't speak for anybody, but I'm going to speak from you know, just whatever knowledge I've gained. But most look at most of the, the high-level sports, especially pool, snooker, sports, and darts. Mm-hmm. The daffabet. Um, Party poker. There's a lot of places uh, for gambling right. online right. that don't sponsor events in the sorry U.S. based events. Right, right. Exactly. Because it's illegal. Right. For any Tibet ways, like me trying to sell somebody uh, in India a campaign on Craigslist, it's pointless. They can go down the street and get it. Right. That, right. but. Maybe that'd be a reason for to tap for these big online gambling companies to sponsor some stuff. Exactly. 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 The casinos and the other gambling companies that are making a killing in overseas right now 
on things just like pool, <coughs> excuse me, and everything else, they're not, it's not, can be not done in the United States, which, like you said, stops the casinos and the gambling companies from sponsoring the events because they know that they can't make any money off of it, even if they did. So, uh, according right. to this article, um, it says three states have legalized it, that is, online gambling, and eight more are currently considering allowing the practice within their borders uh, because, you know, the tax money that they can draw off of it. Um, so there's a little bit of headway that still has to be made, but, uh, you know, as soon as one of these, um, you know the name of the Moscone Cup is the party poker, you know what I mean? That that sponsorship right. is gigantic for them. You know, how cool yeah. would it be, like, at Derby City, for example, or when... There's also Ladbrokes and William Hill... And over in Europe, and this Daffabet, uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if they're new or not, I haven't really heard of them, but they've just started getting involved mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. this kind of thing as well. Right. And I, I don't know, I could get, I could get political here, uh, really, fuck it, I'm going to do it, you cursed already, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, here's the thing, they don't want this legalized gambling going on. And I don't know what exactly is the reason they don't want the legal and the government, you know, I mean, you can't gamble in many, many states. Right. Right? It's only a handful that right. you can, unless you're on the, uh, the Indian casinos. Yeah. Right. But yet, they're all, they're real quick to pick up that money on that lottery this week, won't they? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yes. They'll take that piece of that action. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, no, no, no gambling. Gambling is immoral. It's, uh, it's going to do this. It's not good for us. But, oh, give me that part of that $1.5 billion. Oh, yeah. Sure enough, man. Don't worry about that. Yeah. So, uh, I, th- I think it'd be, hell, it might be good for the economy if they can figure out a way to charge these online people. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. All they have to do is put that tax bracket in place and they can cash in on it big time. If people didn't want to gamble, if they didn't want gambling to exist, there wouldn't be any damn casinos in, in so many states. I mean, and as Vegas would just blow away. You know what I mean? Gam- people like to gamble. There's That's not the question. The question is whether or not the law is going to let them get in on it. The, the, the tobacco and alcohol, they can't get in on it. They've been legislated out of it. They, the laws don't let them anymore. But the gaming industry can. So what happens with this um, online gambling and gaming and pool is going to be huge if, if, if we can get the law on our side. So we'll just well, have to see what happens. There's ways that, depending on how much money, and there's a lot of money involved in, let's just, Let's just say the Moscone Cup. I'm saying that because it is the beast's most elaborate sure. uh, production that happens every other year in the United States. But now, if you look, go well. How much money? If it's support, if it's sponsored by William Hill, for an example, in in Europe, and now they're putting on seventy five hundred thousand dollar tournaments or sponsoring $100,000 tournaments, which right. they could very well do. Yeah. It's, it's not just the taxes they'll get out of the players. They'll get taxes out of the promotions. Yes. The promoting company. Right. Whether it be Metro or whoever. 
Right. Uh, they, they sell alcohol like there is no tomorrow. They get taxes for that. They're employing more people. They get taxes for that. It's a money-making deal, not only for the casinos or the gambling entity. It's everybody wins. So hopefully it goes through. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I just see there's a lot, there's a lot of taxes to be paid on making mm. those events bigger. Absolutely. Not just looking at. It's, I think it's in the. It's, I think it's in the government's best interest. Why not? Right. Right. Exactly. No, I agree with you, and the statistics don't lie uh, as far as the amount of money that's already being changed. The, the amount of money that's already changing hands in the UK alone is upwards of $7 billion, and that's just in one year. In 2014, $7.1 billion from online gambling. Really? That's a sick amount of money, and we're just letting it fly by you know what i mean like we're not taking advantage of that when all we'd have to do just change the law collect it and then you know hell illinois for example doesn't even have a budget do you know that that we are that our state is running with no approved budget right now we don't have a budget we don't have any money but my house <laughs> yeah seriously no but it's to, it's to the point that you have entire states, like California, almost shut down a couple of years. What was it, last year? Sa- same thing with Illinois. We don't even have a budget. These are states that are dire, dire need of of revenue. They've taxed everybody to the death. You know, there is no more, any, there's no more money to get from people other than to start taxing their groceries or something. Uh, so they need to do something reasonable and reasonably fast. And this is something that people are spending their money on anyway. So why not, you know, get in on it? I guess I don't. I don't want to beat the horse till it's dead. But you know what I mean. I think it's an obvious uh, benefit, like you said, for everybody. So I think they should do it. But well, this is the small people and us out there. Yeah. And uh, that maybe is a, a a good reason for it not yeah. being legal. So to Michelle, somebody will. Let us know on that. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. All right. Well, that's our uh, our current events for this week. Um, stick around for a little bit later on in the show. I'm going to share Chapter 4 of uh, the autobiography of Andrew Ponzi. And uh, we will catch up with you guys uh, next week here on American Billiard Radio. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. You know, um, it's the beginning of the year. We're still in the first month of uh, January here, 2016. And, um, you know, it's it might be a good time to reflect on the state of things, you know, how pool's going. Um, generally speaking, we're... Um, on the upswing, I think um, we've got more events than we have had in the last couple of years. Um, I think the publicity is, um, to the general public, not so much increased, but uh, the events amongst ourselves have sort of gained popularity and whatnot. But on that token, I thought that we would talk to one of the pool gurus out there 
So I'm on the phone now with uh, Mr. Freddie Agnier out on the West Coast. How you doing, Freddie? I'm, I'm doing great, Dave. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with you that the state of pool right now, we do have uh, uh, a lot more events happening, and I'm happy to see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously not... Um, what you want to call the ideal situation just yet, but uh, but I think we're definitely things are turning around. You know, I we we spoke about this briefly last week on the show. Uh, we touched on the State of the Union just a smidge, and uh, I was saying that it, things are definitely better than they were two years ago. Uh, I think we have more new events, upcoming events. There are things putting get, getting put back on the calendar that have been taken off, vis a vis the straight pool, U.S. Open, and one pocket and things like that. But I would like somebody else's opinion on it. So first of all, why don't you give there our listeners the benefit of uh, telling us who you are and 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 um, where you stand in the big scheme of things in the pool world? Sure. Thanks. Um, as many people out there who are listening to your show, I've been a pool player for decades, uh, over 35 years of playing pool. I've been a league player and, and uh, an amateur player and played many, many tournaments. Uh, I am part of the United States Billiard Media Association today, and I'm part of the Hall of Fame voting. Uh, I've been an author for one of the magazines, Inside Pool Magazine, for uh, over 10 years now. Inside Pool Magazine has turned into a... Uh, internet uh, media outlet, but as they were a hard copy magazine, I was the Q-Maker's Corner article author for, uh, for over 10 years, so that's nice. my nickname, The Corner Man. Uh-huh. And also, I've been fortunate enough to have been invited by several of the different uh, internet shavers out there for matches to be one of their color commentators, so uh, you'll see me a, or hear me on a few of the DVDs out there from some of the YouTube uh, videos out there for several of the matches. Over the past several years, especially at the Derby City Classic. Yes, 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 yes. So you've been around the block a couple of times, then. I've been around the block a few times, and, and I think what I bring to the table is that, I, as I said, I am an amateur player, so I know the amateur scene. But because I've been around the professional scene quite a bit, you know, you get to see that whole range, a whole gamut of skill sets. Uh, and you also get to see the entire livelihood, I guess you could say, of a pool player from the amateur level all the way up to the, the hardcore professionals, uh, as well as the back uh, the backroom gamblers, which really is still part of our, our sport no matter what. Right, right. That's very true. That's very true. There's, uh, <coughs> excuse me, there's a lot of different uh, individual sort of realms in the pool world. You know, you got your amateur uh, type tourists the bangers then you got your your amateur sort of regular league players uh you got a couple of steps up you've got your uh, regular gamblers or or guys that are in it for action and then there's the higher up in the action and then you got your tournament players and then your top level you know everybody has their little world that they're wrapped up in and the amateurs i mean there is tons and tons and tons and tons of amateur events and people out there playing so why where's the disconnect why why is it so strong on the amateur level and so weak on the professional level well you know it's it's very interesting like 
as of right now, I mean, as of right now, this moment, you have two of the world's best players playing against each other in, in a challenge match. As Kopin Yi is playing Dennis Okoyo, right. he's finally with the leaders in New York City right now. Yep. Of the viewers on there, there may be a thousand viewers, there may be 500 viewers. And at one point in the United States, we had over 40 million players that actually played the game at least once a month. And of those players, maybe a million of them were players who actually played some kind of competitive pool. And yet, we don't have a million people watching this. We don't have uh, 500,000. We don't have 10,000 people no, watching this. No. It's an interesting question of, of where is the disconnect? And I, you can point to a few things. But I think one of the, one of the things that gets us here, and it's, it's a challenge that we all have to kind of fight through, is that pool is so easy to get on a table and play that there's absolutely no reason for the average player to look any further than what's in front of them on their table as far as what the skill levels are. So you you mentioned all these different levels of skill levels. The average league player, let's say, rarely knows who the best player in their own city is, let alone who the best player in the state or the country. And, you know, to think about who the best player in the world is, is not even in their in their radar. Right. And right. you take a look at something like basketball. Every casual basketball player knows who the top players are. They knew who Michael Jordan was. They knew who Magic Johnson was. Right. Uh, but if you ask even a good player in any town who the number one, two, three, four players in the world are, and if you said something like Ko Ping Yi, they would have, for the most part, they wouldn't have a clue. Who right. the diehard fans seem to have that clue? So Absolutely. I do think that one of the big issues, uh, and it's a challenge, right? Uh, it's a challenge that if we all recognize and get through it, maybe we start pulling people together as more of a cohesive, pool-loving community. But the challenge is that a lot of players are, are happy to play pool in front of them and really aren't looking further than the table in front of them the table next to them, mm. maybe maybe a little bit more than that, but they're fine with where they are. Right, right. You would never be able to, let's say as a basketball player, you'd never be able to rub uh, shoulders and play one-on-one uh, against the worst bench sitter in the NBA. <laughs> right. The worst bench sitter in the NBA is the best basketball player his high school has ever seen, right? <laughs> yeah. But in pool, in pool, we actually get a chance to play against some of the best players in the country or the world yep. at some of these tournaments. It's yeah. not so exclusive, right? Yeah. I often wonder why people don't do it, right? That's a good question. So you, you, you brought up that the state of pool is it's pretty good. We have a lot of events. Next week, we've got the Derby City Classic. Anybody can go and play. Mm-hmm. You get to play against the best players that have ever played the game. They're going to be yeah. right there. Who is going to go? The diehard. It's not going to be ten thousand people. It's not going to be a hundred thousand people. It's going to be the same thousand or less people that go. And somehow, we've got to figure out a way to pull those other guys together into this as one, like I said, cohesive, pool-loving community. Right. Right. Well, working for the 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 greater good, so to speak. And you know, I I'm gonna. Let me get my soapbox out here. Hold on a second. It's, Absolutely. Let me get my soapbox out and uh, stand up on it. <laughs> and uh, you know, because and I want to say this because it's it's totally completely relevant to what we're talking about with the state of things. But it's also one of the biggest 
most complicated hurdles that there is to to get around. And I'm going to talk in some generalities for a second and and say that it's a it's a it's a snowball. One problem leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Sure. And and to simplify this, to make it understandable for everybody, I'm trying to cover the the basics here. If pool um, billiards, either way, if they if we had a professional quote unquote tour or a series of events that led to a final championship for the United States. Um, now, of course, follow me on the generalities for a second. Now, I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all. I'm just saying if that were happening right now in the country, there would be an avenue, first of all, an avenue for a player to go from zero to the champion. They And if it was properly organized, legitimately organized, and paid like it should then people could dedicate the time it takes to get that good to work their way through the system and become the next champion of America. There's That's one piece of this puzzle because that's not there. I mean, there's a sort of a substitute for it, but it's in the public's eye and in the pool player's mind, it's not organized well enough. It's not legitimate enough, but that's, again, a whole nother realm. So we got piece number one. Piece number two is... Even if that was in place, just like it's supposed to be, if the PR is not there, if the marketing is not there, then what happens is the top-level players are not well-known. And that spawns off a whole other set of problems. Number one, if they're not well-known and they're not given the fame, so to speak, of a champion, then nobody knows who they are. They don't know anything about them. They're not seeing their faces on the news. They're not reading about them on the paper. They're not on TV. Don't have any idea who they are. And that spawns another problem, which is player recognition, like at the very basic level. Like you said, basketball players, football players, baseball players, they all know who their heroes are. Pool players don't even necessarily know. And it's not necessarily their fault either because the basketball players, the football players, and the baseball players, they're on the news. They're in the paper. They're everywhere. There's freaking, you know, Sports Illustrated. So part of the problem also, without the organized professional scene, they're not getting the recognition and the fame and in turn are not getting recognized or understood by the fans. So the fans are left in a situation where they don't have anybody to be loyal to because they don't know anybody. They don't know who these people are. And even when they do know who they are, they don't know that much about them. So the the depth of their dedication to being a fan and to keep track of every match this guy plays and what are his stats and stuff like they do with the other professional sports, that motivation is just not there. They don't know if they like these guys or not. You know, you really have to dig to find out more about these players. So the loyalty... The fan base is not there, which in turn doesn't draw the audience and the viewership and the spectatorship that the that the sponsors are looking for because the sponsors want exposure. That's what their job is, to get their product and their name out there to as many people as possible. So they don't want to put money up on these events because they're not drawing the viewers and the spectators like the other sports and other avenues of advertising do. And so that in turn goes back to the events themselves 
they can't charge or they can't pay out that much because they don't have big corporate sponsors behind them. So the prize funds aren't that much. So then it goes back to your average Joe player who doesn't necessarily care if he makes it to the pro level because it doesn't pay crap anyway. Right. So it's this vicious circle, you know, where one thing leads to another, leads to another, and we're kind of stuck in this rut, you know, and I'll kind of just let that simmer for a second and, and you can say what you think. I'll put the soapbox away for a second. How does that make you, you feel? I think great... He touched on a great uh, a note there on uh, corporate sponsorship and all these events. It looks like the events seem to answer and cater to the pool player, which is great for us. Except for, as I said earlier, the diehard players are only a, a small number. Right. It feels like uh, event, uh, the event planners should be catering to the corporate sponsors. Right. So having all these events, again, it's great for us if you just cater to the pool player, but are we the ones that are important to this? In the long run, it has to be uh, that everybody else that's not a pool player. That's, in my opinion, that's that's what uh, people have to be catering for, catering to. Right. If they're going to be doing these kind of events. Right. New audiences, more audiences, and in some cases, younger audiences, you know, as the case may be. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to suggest that I've got the magic bullet. I'm simply pointing out that this is the situation that we're in right now. Um, and another, on that same token, you know, we've got this grassroots movement of of um, streaming online video, streaming and what have you, events, even pre-recorded events. Thank goodness that that they're taking the time to do it because if not, we wouldn't have any video coverage of it. But even these guys on the most basic level are shooting themselves in the foot again and again and again, because they're taking the time to get the equipment, get the know-how, go to the event and film it. And in some cases they do a great job. AccuStats and tar. I mean, these are top quality productions yet at the end of the day, it's just two people in a room playing pool for money. We still don't know any, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? We still don't know anything about them, the players, <clears throat> and the people that are actually producing these events. They don't do anything in advance to market them in advance. Right. You know, they're so I not. Think it's up to, I think it is up to, excuse me for interrupting you, uh, the media, I think, should be uh, taking leadership here because it's not going to be the pool player. It has to be the media, right. the non-players. Right. And that includes that includes things like the format of, of how to present these, these uh, events, uh, the people to get to know the players better and communicate to the general public who these players are so that we can at least feel something for them, have a reason to, right. to, uh, to cheer them on and have a exactly. reason to be fans. Exactly. And so right now, like you just said, we're just kind of watching two guys. We might as well be at the pool hall and the streaming right now is just uh, we get to be voyeurs and, and watch from a distance. Right, right. But one of the one of the things that uh, I think that we really need again, this is all my opinion as a, as a media guy, is every one of these streams have different rules. Every stream is different. So if I were, let's say, a casual fan, I'd be confused every single time I'd, I'd be watching. That's wondering true. what exactly are the rules again? Because last week that ball that dropped, the guy got to shoot. This week he doesn't get to shoot. Yeah. Last week it's spot up. That, you know, eight weeks ago uh, it, it gets too confusing. And if Absolutely. I were a casual fan, I may not continue watching. Right. 
that is a, yet another one of those pieces of the puzzle. And, it, in, you know, not any one of the pieces is going to make the picture complete, but they all matter. You know what I mean? And exactly. that's one of these things that still matters is standardization of the damn equipment and the rules. I mean, like you said, they're all over the place. And that's not to say that any one set of rules is better than the other because I'm not I'm not picking sides. But for Pete's sake, we just have to standardize. Yeah, pick one. You know, what we I mean? have to standardize. if it's this and this is the rule, if it's that and that's the rule. Um, it, interestingly enough, you know, Mark Cantrell and I were also talking about this off the air last week. Uh, we are we inadvertently contribute a small part of that problem when we're on this very show, and we talk about some of these matches that are taking place, and we don't go into specific enough detail sometimes. Because we assume that the pool fan will already know that, or that the listener is right. going to already understand that. We mention AZ Billiards sometimes in passing, <laughs> and you know, and if you think about it, there are actually humans on this planet that don't know about AZ Billiards. You know, so it's like, well, exactly. we're trying to make this uh, a little more uh, friendly to the people that don't necessarily know all that stuff. And so, you know, on the one hand, that's good. We're trying to educate the people, but on the other hand. Like you said, with the rule sets, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, well, now we have to talk about alternate break versus winter break, and and uh, right. you know where where it gets racked, and, and oh gosh, there's so many different stuff, you know, that whew, you had to have to study up before you watched a match just to find out, you know, how does how how does this game actually work? <laughs> like, what do they have to do here? Right, it's a bit of an exaggeration. Back point, yes, back back to the point. Let, let let's push this point. If we're going to grow the uh, the viewership and, and the fan base at the grassroots level, we need to continue to communicate to those people who really aren't as as uh, degenerates of a pool as we are. Right. It has to be right. a, a message to the people who are either casual players or even non-players that might have interest. Right. When when I do commentating, when a lot of people do commentating. It definitely is not for the person who already knows the game. Right. The guys that know the game, they don't need commentating. Of course, right. you know that you would shoot the one ball because of the two ball, or the three ball, or the four ball. Right. But the casual fan who maybe only be an eight ball player, and, and more people play eight ball than any other game. Yes, they Let's do. Let's continue to talk to them, you know. Yeah. Uh, more people play in a bar. Let's talk to them and, right. and, and keep those people. Or the wife. You know, the spouse of the league player that only goes and watches his or her spouse during league night and really isn't interested in the game other than I, this couple of people are playing and their spouse is interested in it. Right, Speak right. Speak to them. Absolutely. Speak to them. Those are the people. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I'm going to relay, <coughs> excuse me, a story. It's a very short story, but, but this is so incredibly relevant that it's not funny. I was watching... Um, uh, how long has it been since the last Olympics? Was it last year or the year before? Uh, I don't. Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is. It must be, it must be this year. Is an Olympic year, so. Okay. Two thousand sixteen now, so it must be, and they do it every two years now. One is the Winter Olympics, and one is the right. Olympics. And I'm talking about Winter Olympics, so I want to say it was just two years ago. Um, okay. And this will make sense in just a minute. Um, I'm watching uh, literally f flipping channels on a, on the television, and I don't ever sit down and, and flip channels. So it was kind of unusual that I even did that at all. Um, but 
here I am flipping channels and it's like, oh, the Olympics are on. Oh, okay. What event is this? Hmm. And I, don't, I didn't know that they had uh, downhill slalom snowboarding as an event. I knew that they had they had brought snowboarding into the Olympics, but I didn't know they had this right. downhill speed type of slalomy event, whatever. And so, you know, I'm intrigued. I'm like, what is that? Oh, really? I didn't know. So here's the thing. Just to give you uh, the bottom line first, I watched this television for like 10 minutes. That's all it took. All right. All right? In that 10 minutes... Um, they were giving us the backstory. Now, flat, flash forward to the present. What what I turned on was was about to be the final run of this one guy for the medal. This was his medal run. He, he was either going to get his medal or he wasn't. This was his final run, right? So I'm already interested in it because of that. Well, here here's his final run for the medal. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? And before they show me the final run, they go into this backstory. They proceed to tell me that this guy has been trying out for the Olympic team for several years and he keeps coming up short. Like he can't place high enough to get on the team in the United States. And so he loses his funding. He loses his sponsorship, whatever. He's off the United States team. He, um, by his competition in, the, in these events, he has met a Russian woman or girl who also downhill slalom snowboards. And he just so happens to like, well, you know what? I'm not on the team. I'm going to pursue my love interest. He moves to Russia, Soviet Union, whatever you want to call it, Russia. Uh, he <laughs> follows... Just two years ago? I know. Russia. just I know it wasn't the Soviet Union. Sorry. Sorry. I have a flashbacks from 1985. Um <laughs> So he moves to Russia. He falls in love with this girl, or he's already in love with her, but he marries this woman, and they're both Olympic snowboarding you know, people. She's on the team in Russia. He joins the team in Russia, makes the team in Russia. So now he's coming to the United States, or not to the United States. He's, he's not on the United States. He's playing against his former teammates as a Russian citizen. Right. His wife is also a downhill slalom snowboarder. She's already won a medal in this event. And now he's going to do his final run for the medal. If he gets it, now he gets to rub it in the face of all of his former American teammates. Where, they, where it's like one of those, oh, how do you like me now? You know, I couldn't make the team over there. But, <laughs> but you know, now look what happened. Sure enough. They they tell all the backstory how he's married now to this Russian woman blah 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 blah, and then they show the run. He gets the medal. I'm like literally, physically and mentally on the edge of my seat, waiting to find out what's going to happen at the end of this match, and or the end of this run. And ten minutes prior, I didn't even know that there was such an event as a downhill slalom snowboarding thing. And now I know this guy's whole life story and everything, you know, in 10 minutes time, I could not take my eyes off the television. The, the, the moral of the stupid story is that's how easy it is to take somebody that doesn't know anything about this and say, guess what? Johnny Archer, he loves dogs. He likes pizza. He's been struggling with his game for, you know, three years now, and this is his mortal enemy, and he now he's in turning stone to defend himself, and it comes down to the final ball. 
you know, it's, it, uh, you want to know it, what it ends up being... what's going to happen. You know what I mean? They build the suspense. They give you the history behind the person, where they came from and what they're going to. You know, Shane is a good example. Great PR story. Skyler. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. But we're just not getting that. We're not getting that, the 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 relevant information about the players, their backstory, what's leading up to this event, how much struggle they went through to even get there in the first place. Was he sleeping last night? Does he, you know, anything. Anything that can draw you in is going to increase that popularity, that draw, the fandom, and the fame all together at the same time. That's the critical element that, that this the streaming matches have, the Accustats, Tar. It, it is excellently produced, but at the same time, it misses the mark as far as presenting the players and their story to us. And, it, and these individual events don't lead to something at the end of the year where we can put a crown right. on somebody, you know? So, I'm well, sorry. To, to uh, you know, not that, that Pat Fleming needs the defense, that's to his defense anyway. Accustats started out as, as one thing, you know, it was a, a way to do his statistics on, on pool. Yeah. And yeah. then the recording, and then offering the recordings to people for, for, for sale. And then now, you know, the, the production, as he has its day, he's done a fantastic job and deserved Hall of Fame. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that he, his, uh, his accusation was ever meant to be something other than what it is. Right. In fact, the fact that he's able to make these productions is way beyond uh, what his original vision was, sure. unless he had the vision all along to sell these, which I, I don't think that was the case. Um, but you can certainly take what he's doing now and, and, and build off of it by doing production and, and information like you're talking about. Right. Really, it ends up being it ends up being media. Right. And, and if I were to you know, sum it all up, right now we have gotten ourselves the entire pool industry have gotten ourselves into a situation where we have all the confusing rules. We have we have things all over the place, and I think it's going to have to be the worldwide media people like yourself. Uh, to try to tie people together, tie everything together from an informational standpoint, including being the information people at these streams. These streams, right now, I think right now is the time uh, that we're we're going to be able to do this and try to pull things together because streaming is it's the it's the present and I think it is the future. Yeah. Uh, and without the information that you're trying to talk about, we're we're just not going to be able to get new viewers in. Right. We're not going to be able to keep them uh, keep them into the matches. Right. I teach, believe it or not, one of the side gigs I do, I teach creative writing to, uh, to elementary school students. And there's a couple of big points when you're doing creative writing. One is the hook. Try to try to make it so that when somebody's ca- casually looking at your book, make them want to continue turning the page. Right. And, and the second thing is, do not bore them. Mm. Once you bore someone while you're reading, they will you put the book down, right? If you start getting bored of the book, you, you're going to put it down. So always keep them engaged, which I think is why you get a lot of commentators on the screen. They keep on talking because for the most part, for the casual fan, they're not going to keep on listening. Uh, and in fact, since they're only casual fans, they won't keep on watching. I think you'd have to be, keep on doing things to make the casual fan mm-hmm. keep on watching. Uh, right. And it goes back to what your point is, right. whether it's stories, 
uh, you know, get get to know, get inside the head of these players or something. Absolutely. But, uh, I, I, I think the overall message here is it is the media. The media has to be the one to speak out to the casual, non-hardcore fan because that is the large group of people mm-hmm. uh, that we need to tap into right. to, to get to get this sport of ours growing the right direction. We can't wait around for another color of money. We're not going to wait around for another hustle. They've already done that twice. If it happens, great. But we're, we're right in the middle of a media juggernaut with the internet and streaming. Right. Right. Uh, with podcasting. Well, the point is, right. Well, the point is we don't have to wait for another color right. of money or whatever else because we've already got the players are out there. This is not a this is not even a matter of attracting people to play the game at all. There are plenty right. of plenty of people that play, millions of people play this game, but they're like you said you look at your stream numbers though and you would never be able to tell that by just looking at right. the people that are paying attention to what should be some of the most important matches going on on the planet right now. Ko versus Orkoyo, right. that's a big damn deal as far as the caliber of player that we're talking about. You can't get better. You that's can't what get I'm saying. Better. That's it should be that should be, you know, like the MMA fights, McGregor versus, you know, pick his opponent kind of thing. Where people should be tripping over themselves to see what this co guy is going to do. The co that took Shane down, you know. Whoa. Right. You know, that's a big deal in this world. But why? You know, we, like I said, just to full circle, we know why. We know why. There's so many incomplete links in the chain. So, you know, if I was, you know, all powerful, I'd go back and identify you those. Master of the universe? Yes, if I was master of the universe. No, there's just some there's some very basic stuff that can be done, and it not all of it involves money, but some of it does. Um, some of it's just sort of common sense stuff. But uh, sure. what we one of our goals with this very program is to a document what's going on right now in the world in the pool world, and b. Uh, there's a lot of goals, but the two main ones are is to document this um, uh, a hub of communication and to give you, the listeners, an opportunity to hear this person talk, to get to know more about them. I can go online and watch hundreds and thousands of videos of somebody playing, but I don't know a right. damn thing about that guy. I don't know if I should be a fan of his or if I should be hoping to watch him get beat. You know, I don't know. I really don't know unless I get to spend some time talking with him and get to little know a little more about him, you know. Pretty soon, I find out, oh, you know, he likes dogs. Oh, I, I like dogs. He likes pizza. Oh, I love what? pizza, you know. He <laughs> likes to cook. Oh, he loves beer. He likes four-wheel drive trucks. Something, you know, something I can engage emotionally with. Because that, as cheesy as that sounds, that's the exact same basis of every commercial endorsement that's ever been done on the planet brett Favre wears this kind of jeans there's your commercial this guy drives this kind of truck this guy drinks this kind of beer you know we want to do what the famous people do we want to emulate them we want to follow them we want to see what their dirt is i mean everybody knows that the the uh tabloids are popular because it's just sort of a sneaky inside view behind what this person's really like you know it's that same sort of curiosity and attraction that make fans at all, that make right. them 
interested in what you do other than your actual accomplishments. You know, uh, think about movie stars. You know, oh, well, he did a great movie. Okay, but so did every other actor that was in that same movie. You know, why does that one actor stand out? Well, there's a reason. I can't tell you what your reason is, but there's some reason why you like this one more than that one. Same thing with the athletes, you know. There's very few people that will um, be a fan of something or someone specifically because of the statistics. More often, it's because there's something about that person that they like. So I, I, I don't want to go into beating the damn dead horse again, but it it's just it's a major part of the component of the puzzle here, though. I mean, it really is. It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, and, you know, if I were to challenge the, the listeners out there, I, I'd do it twofold. One, I would challenge the listeners who are in the industry to look at how we can put more information out there about the players through the streams, through the magazines, through, through outlets like, like yours. Absolutely. And the other challenge is to to those who are listening that have a base of people, friends, and affiliates that are casual players. And I'm talking about the league players. So many of you out there that are listening, you are league players that have a hundred league players in there. You're in one city, and there's a you know a thousand cities across the country that have uh, some kind of league going on. Reach out to the average players and tell them about these streams. Tell them about your show. Because we, we have to start looking at the non you know the non hardcore players right. not, the hardcore players are not going to be the guys that carry this we already love the game we're already involved we're already in it we're all right. in it. it's the, it's the casual fans give them information get them to to the stream that that's going to be the big challenge and again the other challenges to the industry people how do we give those casual fans what they want yeah what they them. need exactly they want to stay they want to continue watching they get hooked and continue watching. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and the hook, I think, is a is a uh, a very prominent and overlooked uh, point, and 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 it's simple. It's as I have already said like ten times today. Uh, you know, obviously, we want to know more about the players, but they're, you know, I I love Justin Collette. I know this is going to sound really weird because. Uh, he wouldn't probably he probably wouldn't say the same thing about me <laughs> but it's, no it's not that we don't have bad blood or anything it's just that like i love what he did with the tar thing i uh, i i like so much what they did but uh like so many other things in pool it was hard for them to keep justifying spending the money on it when the viewership was exactly. so low and and you know one day I'm, i was having a conversation with them and i said hey look you know uh you know i i'm already falling victim of my own problem i should explain this justin collett was one of the main forces behind tar the action report and the for report. right and for many years for several years there 39 times or so they put professional the top professional players together and had these money matches and they filmed it and put it out there for all of us to see that's so you know the background and then they stopped doing it for financial reasons basically uh, so, because they weren't getting the viewership to pay for it, and one of, the, and if I had anything, you know, uh, advice-wise, I could justifiably say to Justin or to any of the other streamers out there, it didn't lead to anything. There, you know, didn't have the hook. In other words, if it, if this had been a series of matches throughout the year, that at the end of the year there was going to be a final 
playoff where the guys that you know the winners of all these matches now they're in a round robin for the champion of the United, you know championship of the United States that's how simple and easy that hook would have been but he didn't have anything built into that system to make you want to come back again and again and again and again other than oh I like that guy he's pretty cool or oh wow they're paying playing for $30,000 the money is an attraction um, the I want to see this pro how he plays that shot as an attraction but the biggest hook is what's coming what does it lead to and what title is going to be had out of this you know and the players probably felt the same way they wanted a title from it you know they they don't get to go home and go I won tire 13 woo you know that's cool but what does that mean to the rest of the pool playing community and to the world at large Tar number 13 didn't, you know, doesn't mean a whole lot. If they said, hey, I won the Tar, Tar World Championship and beat all 13 of these other players, now that's something that everybody can go, oh, wow, that's a pretty big accomplishment, man. So, you know, more structure, more meaning sure. behind the actual events other than just these two guys play, they get paid and go home. All right. Well, I was uh, very fortunate I did... Uh Commentary for for Justin and Chad uh, for the Action Network on awesome. several of their uh, of their matches, a couple of their big DVDs, and you know, to their credit, they were really the pioneers of, of bringing a uh, streaming video of, of big money matches that everybody wanted to see. Yeah, um, and, I, I, and, and what would have, what would they have taken? Well, there were several more steps to take, and I think they were instrumental on being able to get that first step. And without yeah. them. The success of, of uh, Point of View Pool and Big Truck uh, and, and uh, Upstate Al, I think uh, you know those guys are more successful today because of the work uh, right. that the Action Floor did. Absolutely, um, with Justin and, and Mark uh, Griffin, absolutely, uh, and the late Chad Pullman for sure. Absolutely. So uh, you know, to that point, let's all learn from what everybody's done before us, exactly, and, and just keep on building a better project and product. Uh, for the fans, it really is for the fans, and you know, like I'll beat that dead horse again. That it's the casual fans that we need to attract. We don't yes. need to attract the the hardcore fans. We're already fans. We're right. We're right. already committed. Right. Well, and from a marketing, you know, if you want to, if we want to use marketing language, it's all about making the conversion. It's what they call the conversion. If you got millions of people standing there doing nothing, then get a dollar from each of them. If there's millions of people out there playing pool. Give them something that they already want. They just didn't even know they wanted it yet. You know what I mean? They sure. they need this. They want this information. They need the information. We want them and need them to have this information too. You know, this is it's it benefits everybody in the industry when the, when everybody is on the same page and they all know the same thing and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I now we're just going in circles. So. <laughs> if I, I think we better get out of here before we put people to sleep, Freddie. So uh, if you got anything uh, else to add, feel free, my friend, to take this time. Yeah, so to do just so. Uh, you know, for the, for the for the listeners out there, next week we have another great event, the Derby City Classic. We've had it uh, every year now. Uh, I'm a little bit part of that. Obviously, it's a Greg Sullivan uh, show. It's been happening every year, and and one of the big things about the Derby City Classic is the Louis Roberts Action Award. I, I'm the committee head of that. The Louis Roberts Action and Entertainment Award it goes to the guy that's in the or the girl in the action rooms that the voters uh, deem has the most uh, given them the most entertainment. 
Um, and we've had a lot of great winners, and the winner gets free hotel and free tournament entry for the lifetime of the Derby City Classic. So, wow. so if you want to see some great pool, uh, obviously they've got the regular tournaments, one pocket, bank Damn. pool, and nine ball, greatest players in the world come. Uh, but if you want to see action and green room pool, uh, that's the place to go. Derby City Classic, Louisville, Kentucky. That starts next week, next Thursday, the 22nd. That goes for about nine days. So uh, it's usually a great, great time. And again, I would definitely challenge the, the, the players out there uh, that have a, 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 an array of friends that are casual players, try to get them involved. Uh, if we can get to those players, we've got a good shot at growing this game, growing this sport. Yes, absolutely true. Absolutely Without a doubt, that's that's the people that we want to attract in. So, <clears throat> I, thanks, Freddie, for your time. I, I certainly appreciate it. And uh, gee whiz, thanks you know. for having me on the show. Oh, absolutely, it's been a blast. And you know, if there's anybody still uh, awake <laughs> that's listening, then catch up with us again next week right here on American Billiard Radio. <laughs> Okay, welcome back, everybody. And uh, this is the segment of the show where we're uh, reading a book, a chapter every week, The Fabulous Mr. Ponzi from 1948. It's the autobiography of three-time world champion Mr. Andrew D'Alessandro, otherwise known as Andrew Ponzi. This is chapter four. If you've missed the previous chapters, feel free to go back into our archive on American Billiard Radio, and you can catch the first three. And, of course, you can join us next week, where we will continue. So, chapter four. Like a siren's voice, the road beckoned me for the next few years, interrupted only by the tournaments and challenge matches which are held every few months during the winter season. Chicago was the home of the 1928 tournament, in which I finished fifth to Ralph, to Ralph Greenleaf in a closely bunched field. My chances to finish in the first three went a glimmer in one night when a cue ball unfortunately caromed off the bunched triangle and scratched into a side pocket. It was a perfect break shot, but my luck ran out at a most inopportune moment. When the tourney was over, I was signed as Ralph, Ralph Greenleaf's playing partner for a three months tour. I realized that Ralph was one of the greatest players of all time and there was much I ha that I could learn from his style of play and execution. For this very same reason, I accepted an offer to become the playing partner of Willie Hoppy and make a road tour of the West Coast. There is one thing about billiards Regardless of how many years one plays the game, there's always something new that can be learned. I find this true even today, after 25 years of handling a cue. We had two tables set up wherever we played. One for three cushion billiards, the other for the pocket game. We usually broke even in our matches, Hoppy winning at billiards while I would excel in the pocket games. Much of the knowledge I have acquired in playing the angle game was imparted to me by Hoppy on this tour. If I played a shot incorrectly, he would point out my error immediately, 
even though we were in the midst of an exhibition, and I attribute my foundation as a sound billiard player to his gracious instructions and advice during our association. After we had toured the principal cities of California, Hoppy received a lucrative offer to play Welker, Co Welker Cochran, a special match, in the latter's room in San Francisco. As this would necessitate a week's layoff for me, I decided to go back east alone and book a few dates on the way. One of these bookings took me to Ardmore, Oklahoma, where I was engaged to play at the Ardmore City Club. As I stood on the main thoroughfare of this thriving oil boom town, speaking to the club manager, a shiny new Cadillac drew up to a stop, and from it and from its upholstered interior emerged a large family of gaily bedecked Indians. Looks like they are in the chips, said I. Who are they? That is Charlie, one of the richest Indians in the state of Oklahoma, the club manager answered. Then he went on to tell me Charlie's story. The reservation land, which had been allotted Charlie by the United States government, has produced oil in such quantities that oil company royalties have made him immediately rich. As fast as he brought or bought and smashed up a car, he would purchase a larger and more expensive model. One day, the United States government told Charlie he deplored the fact that the Indian and his family were still housed in a primitive teepee while all this money was rolling in. He said he would build a beautiful home where Charlie and his family could live in comfort and style. The Indian thought it a good idea, and no expense was spared in putting up a modern ten-room house on the reservation land. The finest furniture, bedding, and blankets were purchased for the comfort and convenience of the Indian and his family. A few months later, when the commissioner was making his accustomed rounds, he was astonished to learn that the new home was unoccupied and that Charlie had moved back into his rude wigwam. He drove over to the Indian's primitive lodge. When he entered, he saw the costly blankets he had ordered for the new abode strewn about on the bare earth. "'Charlie,' he began, "'what on earth are you doing out here? "'Why aren't you living in your new, beautiful home?' "'Me no like. "'No wind, no air. "'Bed too soft.' No can sleep. TP better. The commissioner shrugged his shoulders in be bewilderment. He could not, he could never learn to understand these people. For all I know, Charlie's big house is still standing on the reservation, unoccupied. Levy joined me when I reached Detroit, and he immediately started to book some games to fill out the balance of the season. It is a strange coincidence that for all my traveling, this was my first trip to the Motor City. Although my reputation had preceded me, I was practically unknown by sight to anyone in this great metropolis. Levy and I learned that Jimmy Moore, Michigan State pocket champion, held forth in a small room out on Woodward Avenue and was open to meet any player in America who would agree to play him on his own 45 by 9 table. We also learned that he had previously beaten every professional player who had accepted his, his uh, offer. But in spite of this, we journeyed out to his place and challenged him to a match for $500 a side. As we left the room to back down 
to drive back downtown, Levy was approached by a little Greek who ran the lunch concession in the room. He had overheard our conversation when the arrangements were made for the match. Listen, mister, he said. I don't know you fellows, but you look like nice boys to me, and I hate to see you lose your money. This fellow Moore is the Michigan State champion. No one has ever beaten him on his own table. Take my advice. Don't come back tonight. Levy thanked him and answered, We're willing to take that chance. And if you follow my advice, you can have a little wager on my friend here. We returned that night, and when Moore and I lagged for the break, I found that it was a very tricky table indeed. The cushions were lightning fast. One must use extreme caution in stroking the cue ball, lest it run wild. I realized at once that it was this condition that had contributed to the downfall of my predecessors who had played more. The Detroit boy won the lag for the break, and as soon as he started play, I realized that he was going to be a tough man to beat. He had a nice stroke, and he played the fast cushions to perfection. Before he missed, he had run up a skein of 78 balls. At this point, Levy excused himself and went out to the drugstore to obtain a couple of aspirins. As the saying goes, he was green about the gills. When he returned, I was at the table, and when I got out of position, there were 90 buttons on my string. I had overcome Jimmy's lead and was now in front. Following this run, I played a perfect safety, and with all due modesty, I must admit that I had the Detroit, bo that I had the Detroit boy locked up at this style of play. On my very next turn at the table, I ran out with an unfinished run of 33. As we took down our wager and left the place, we were followed by the little Greek restaurateur who had previously warned us that we had no chance to win. He was beaming all over. I never thought you could do it, he said. You played wonderful. You just beat the champion of the state of Michigan. You want to know something, said Levy? Moore may be the champion of Michigan, but this boy here is the champion of the other 47 states. We resumed our tour the next day, and when the season ended, I returned to Philadelphia. One afternoon, while walking down busy Market Street, I met my old pal George Kelly, a former National Pocket Billiard champion. Andy, he said, I've got a good spot where we can make some money. There's a colored man who runs a little room out in Germantown, and he thinks he's a black Ralph Greenleaf. He's never seen you play, so he'll give you a game for sure. I was always looking for action in those days. Let's go. We soon arrived at Mr. Jones' Palace Billiard Hall. Skipping the usual social amenities, I inquired if he would be interested in a few games which carried a small stipend attached to the outcome. I never seen you play, he answered. But I don't bar no man in the world if he will play me one ball, two sides to one. In other words, Mr. Jones was seeking a handicap, whereby he would be privileged to make the one ball in either side pocket, while his opponent would be restricted to the one pocket agreed upon beforehand. 
I accepted his offer. We started play. After I had beaten Jones four or five straight games, I noticed that he kept glancing nervously at a large framed lithograph that was hanging on the opposite wall. It was the type of poster used for advertising purposes by the Brunswick Company manufacturers of billiard equipment. It, re it reproduced the photos of some of the world's greatest players of bygone days. Jake Schaefer, Alfredo Dioro, Willie Hoppy, Frank Tabersky, and a few others who had made billiard history looked down upon that dingy billiard hall, plus a sorely pressed darkie who could not understand why he never won a game from his cocky young opponent. After I had beaten him 15 games in a row, he stopped to wipe the perspiration from his worried brow. Then, seized with a sudden inspiration, he grasped me by the arm and said, Come on over here! He led me directly beneath the framed poster on the wall and began an intent study of the faces pictured thereon. Every now and then he would study my features as though making a comparison. He finally shook his head in frustration, and then he declared with great emphasis, You ain't up there, but man, you certainly ought to be. That concludes chapter four of the fabulous Mr. Bonzi. Stick with us uh, next week, and we will go on to chapter five, right here on American Billiard Radio.